invite you to uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 121. We've sung it, and in a moment we will read it and be encouraged uh, by God's Word. Uh, The 19th century poet Henry David Thoreau once penned these words, Nothing is so much to be feared as fear. You may know that sentiment better in the words of uh, 20th century president from the 1930s, early 1940s, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who in a speech said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. That is a philosophically stirring statement. Nothing to fear but fear itself. It is philosophically stirring, but friends, it is practically stupid. (laughs) There is plenty of stuff to fear in the world. If a bear comes running at you down a mountain trail, you do well to be afraid of that bear and not just the fear of the bear that's charging at you. So just to put all of ourselves at ease, to know that it's normal to be afraid of things, uh, maybe some of you who are more brave than others, just shout out maybe a fear that you have. It may be a logical one. It may be an illogical one or an irrational one. That's fine. Just shout out a fear so we can all know that some of us are afraid of some things. What are you afraid of? Spiders, good, all right, what else? I heard snakes, what? Height, what? Heights, oh yeah, my wife is deadly afraid of, of, of heights. Bees, only insects it seems, insects and heights, that's a common, uh, common theme here. What else, what else are you afraid of? What's that? Closed spaces, okay? Clowns, amen, sister. Falling, okay, all right. Opinions? Others' opinions. Oh, that's, that's deep, bro. Fear man. Hey, I hear you. Some of you are forming opinions about me right now. Afraid of what those might be? It is silly to say we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Friends, we, we live in a world with threatening things. On the one hand, comically, or maybe more irrationally, uh, just to help some of you who are afraid of spiders and bees and snakes and stuff, I am, am not terrified, but I have a, I think a healthy fear of cockroaches. I don't, I don't like them. They're nasty and they freak me out. And we lived in Hawaii for a year where cockroaches are the dominant species. They, they, they're everywhere. And there was a time when we were living in Hawaii in our little apartment and there's a, there's a cockroach that went running across the floor. And I, I took out my, my flip-flop and I went to smash it and I missed. And the cockroach ran under a bookshelf that we had. And I was determined to kill this cockroach. So uh, I got a flashlight and I, I, I crept down to, to look underneath the bookshelf at the cockroach. And it looked back into my eyes and <laughs> stared into my soul. And this cockroach, I kid you not, reared up on its hind legs and screeched a screech that only small children can hear and charged me. I screamed like a little girl and ran into the other room. My wife, who has less of a fear of cockroaches, quickly, you know, put that thing to a quick end and has never let me live down that moment. In a similar way, I, like to, uh, I do like to tease my wife because she is afraid of, of heights. And, and it happened when she became pregnant with our first daughter. Like this newfound fear of heights just like came upon her. But this last week we were working on our house, redoing some siding around our garage and uh, painting the trim. 
And at one point, um, we, have, uh, we have a little A-frame ladder, and to get to the trim in a more comfortable way, I just climbed up and I sat on top of the A-frame ladder straddling either side of it while I was painting, and Nikki was going, I will never sit on a, the ladder's four feet off the ground. I'm thinking, if I fall, it's not going to be that bad. But, but it was, and knowing that it kind of messes with her, I would kind of, you know, wiggle and jiggle just to, <laughs> just to tease her a little bit. It's silly to say we have nothing to fear but fear itself. There are lots of things in the world to fear, and some of them are legitimate. Psalm 121 is a psalm for seasons of fear and for people who sometimes are afraid. And the main thrust, the main idea of Psalm 121 is this, that the Lord, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord who is, is a trustworthy helper to those in fear. The Lord is a trustworthy helper to those in fear. As we see this idea fleshed out in Psalm 121, friends, this morning I want you to know and to remember that when you fear, you can turn to the living God for help. You can turn to the living God to steady your feet, to keep and preserve you, and to protect you. There is help with the Lord for those who fear. Will you join me in standing as we honor God by reading his word, Psalm 121. The psalmist writes, a song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. May God be blessed in the reading of his word. You may be seated. The Lord is a trustworthy helper to those who fear. I find in this psalm four reminders that we should call to mind, that we should remember in times of fear. First, when you fear, know where to look for help. Whether it's cockroaches or heights or spiders or sickness or friends, I've done six funerals in the last three weeks. When you fear even death, know where to look for help. This is a psalm that begins a song of ascents. It's uh, the second of 15 psalms of ascent, beginning in Psalm 120 and ending in Psalm 134. This collection of psalms has an upward trajectory to it. If you'll read through it, you'll, you'll see the, the spirit of the psalm, the, the tone of the psalms increases, it improves as it goes along, and also the location of the psalm, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the geographic location of the, the singer seems to be moving from far away from Jerusalem into the very uh, heart of the temple. Some have tied these 15 psalms to the 15 steps of the temple in Jerusalem, one song being uh, one psalm being sung on each of the steps leading up, but others have placed them more broadly as like pilgrimage psalms, that people who were Jews but living far outside Jerusalem, maybe even living in foreign lands, psalms that they would sing as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem. They're, psalm, uh, they're called Psalms of Ascent because, in a sense, if you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem. 
Uh, Palestine, uh, ancient, the ancient Near East, is a very hilly country. And uh, Jerusalem sat on a high hill. It sits at a higher elevation. So if you're going to Jerusalem, you're literally going up in elevation. You are ascending to Jerusalem. I think that these psalms are probably best to be understood as those kind of pilgrimage psalms. Songs that are sung by people far away from the city of the Lord, moving toward it for worship. And so as the pilgrim psalmist sings along the way here in the second of the ascent psalms, he is found looking to the hills around him and asking, where is my help? And through the eyes of the pilgrim traveling to Jerusalem for worship, these hills could have several meanings. We know that the Psalms are Hebrew poetry. They employ lots of figurative language and imagery, and we can understand these images in in different ways, and we should try to seek to understand them the way that the author intended them, but there may be some uh, flexibility with how we understand these images. For, for one, uh, one, op- one option of understanding the hills that he's speaking to could be the hills around Jerusalem. As we said, that area is very hilly. There were lots of hills around there. And so the hills that he looks to could be a positive thing. I look to the hills around the city of Jerusalem. Where does my help come? It comes from the Lord whose house is on the hill in Jerusalem. It could be a positive image. These hills could also represent the hills of foreign lands. These would be uh, the hills in foreign lands outside of the, the land of Israel, the, the, the area of Judea. These could be the high places where false gods were worshipped. We know from antiquity that uh, gods were worshipped among pagan peoples on top of hills. The closer you could get to the heavens, so to speak, the better your prayers, the, the better your sacrifices would be received by the gods. And so perhaps these hills are places of worship to false gods that the pilgrim psalmist is looking to. He says, I looked to all these hills where all these false gods are worshipped. Where does my help come from? Not from any of these. It comes from another place. Perhaps, though, and I think most logically, these hills that the psalmist is looking to are the hills that mark a dangerous landscape. Hills along the road were often choice hiding spots for bandits to camp out. If you've watched very many of the Star Wars movies, you know that's where the sand people live. They hang out in the hills to attack the people that are traveling along the roads in the valleys below. That was not George Lucas's novel idea. This is an old thing. Bandits like to set up on a hill to watch down on a road in a place where where the people who are traveling cannot see them so that they can ambush and attack them and take all their stuff and run away. This pilgrim psalmist who is traveling to Jerusalem from a faraway land to the city of God is traveling on roads that are surrounded by hills and in those hills he knows there are eyes watching him. I look to the hills where danger lies surrounded by threat and potential of ambush. I look around at all of the things that there are to be afraid of. Death, robbery, beating in the street. Where does my help come from? And he answers his own question in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. In your English Bibles, you probably see that word LORD in all caps, capital L-O-R-D. Anytime you see that in your English Bible, you know that the Hebrew word underlying that all caps word, Lord, is the personal name of God, Yahweh. The, the name that God revealed to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. My help comes from that God. Which one is he? He's the one who made heaven and earth. The psalmist's help 
does not come from a God housed on a hill in a foreign land, but the God who made both heaven and earth. His help comes from the living God, the God who is, who rules over all creation. He's not the God of a hill. He's the God of every hill and valley and sea and highway. He made them all. He rules over all of them. He watches over all of them. As the all-powerful God, Yahweh's help is far better than the help of other gods. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. Friends, let us here, before we go any further, see that the one to whom the psalmist draws our eyes for help, the one who we are to look to for help, is not a God who is far off and inaccessible. He is a God who is imminently near The same God that the pilgrim psalmist looks to for help in this psalm has become human in Jesus the Christ. Yahweh took on flesh. The Son of God took on flesh to live with us. The eternal Son of God took on human form like ours to live among us. And he himself says in John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the, it comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who took on flesh to serve broken and needy sinners. Dear friends, there is no help like the help of the God who comes near to us. When you lift your eyes to the hills and you see dangers abound and threats on all sides Look to the hill that is Calvary. Look to the hill that is Golgotha, the place of the skull, the hill where Jesus, the eternal Son of God, gave his life to save yours. He died for your sins there, and he was raised by the power of God on the third day. Friend, look on him and believe. He is your help. He is your rescuer. He is your redeemer and the one who raises his people from the grave. When you fear, know where to go for help. Second, when you fear, know who is your strength. Where verses 1 and 2 of this psalm come from the voice of the pilgrim psalmist, the remaining verses come like uh, like a response to the initial call, like a response of the company of travelers with the psalmist. So so the psalmist might would would along the way, <clears throat> the leader of the group might sing verses one and two, and then all the rest of the people in the company would sing back verses three through eight. Verses three and four speak to one aspect of God's nature and another aspect of his action. We learn, first of all, that the nature of the Lord, the one that helps those who look to him, the nature of the Lord is unsleeping. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. We see this often in the Psalms, this sort of parallelism. One statement made two different ways. Here, the psalmist wants us to know emphatically that the Lord does not close his eyes upon his people. The Lord does not need a nap. The Lord does not need to be awakened to to request help from. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. His eye is always upon his people. He is utterly waking and utterly watchful. The watchfulness of Yahweh is beneficial to his people in that the Lord watches their every step, the psalmist says, and he stabilizes his people. He will not let your foot 
be moved. Quite literally, he'll, he will not let your foot totter. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In fact, you'll see that word keep several times throughout this psalm. It's there in the second part of verse 3, the first part of verse 4. It's in verse 5 and later in verse 7 and 8. This word keep, keep, keep. It comes from the Hebrew word shamar, which means to keep or to guard or to preserve. The Lord is a watchful keeper of his people. He is watchful. That's the aspect of his nature. But that the aspect of his action is that he keeps, he preserves, he guards those who are his. The image here is one traveling on a dangerous road where to slip could mean death. Some of you have probably hiked maybe dangerous trails or, or somewhat perilous trails in the mountains surrounding Albuquerque or other parts of the wilderness in New Mexico, where if you take a wrong step, you're going for a quick slide down a steep hill. These paths are, are not altogether different from many of the roads, many of the paths that would lead to Jerusalem in that day. To slip could mean to die. And the psalmist says, he will not let your foot be moved. The Lord, Yahweh, keeps the steps and stabilizes the feet of his people When you fear, know who is your strength. Though they fear, the psalmist who knows the Lord, the person who knows the Lord, may have confidence to walk even on dangerous roads. Now, some of you may know that I have really bad ankles from past injuries. Uh, I won't tell you how I got those injuries because those stories are far less impressive. (laughs) But I've rolled both of my ankles playing different sports, toilet papering people's houses, that sort of thing. And uh, that's a true story. Uh, and, uh, and, it, and I, I'm at the point in my life where I've rolled both of my ankles enough times to know that I don't trust my ankles. Every time I, I go to play a sport, basketball or ultimate frisbee or soccer or whatever the, the case may be, I'm always uh, more than a little bit afraid that, that my ankles may give out. I've jumped and landed enough times wonky on my ankle to know how much it hurts and how easily it can happen. And so usually when I play sports, it's not uncommon for me to wear some sort of ankle brace, Uh, usually a a lace-up one that has kind of those metal splints down the side. And, And I'll tell you what, wearing those things, I don't know really how much protection they give, but wearing those braces give me the kind of confidence that I need to play a particular sport. Gives me a healthy amount. There, there's a healthy amount of fear in me that I might turn my ankle, might roll my ankle again. But these braces steady my steps. They strengthen me to run, albeit slowly, but without timidity. To jump with confidence, to pivot and to turn and change direction without a thought that my ankles might give way again. These braces strengthen me for activity. In the same way, God gives this kind of support, this kind of bracing spiritually to those who are in times of fear but look to him for help. He will not let your foot be moved. He's always watching every step. He is keeping you, spiritually bracing you. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. You never have a moment to be unconfident or afraid that you might slip and fall away from him forever. When you fear, know who is your strength. Third, when you fear, know who is your shelter. Verses five and six, we see another aspect of God's keeping of his people. He, he preserves them. He keeps them by strengthening them, but he also keeps them. He preserves them by sheltering them. 
This image of Yahweh as the pilgrim's shadow, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade, your shadow on your right hand. This picture of God as a shadow is a wonderfully comforting one. It should be anyway. So effective is his keeping as a shadow. He's, he's, his presence is always over the life of those who look to him for help that neither sun nor moon will strike them. Now, you have to know that uh, the, the area of, of Palestine, the ancient Near East, the area around Jerusalem there in Judea was very similar to our high desert that we have today. The sun in the day could be really, really hot and exhausting. And there was not a lot of shade uh, uh, all along these roads. So to be out in the sun for a long period of time uh, could literally kill you. But at night, uh, because it's at a higher altitude and a more arid climate, at night when the moon comes out, not that the moon is particularly harmful, but the nights could get very, very cold. And so you could have these extremes of extreme heat in the day and extreme cold in the night, uh, both which are a danger to the traveler. But the Lord, the traveler says, the pilgrim psalmist says, the Lord is your keeper. He's your shade at your right hand, protecting you from the danger of the hot sun by day and protecting you from the dangerous cold by night. Psalmist writes in Psalm 32, verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. When you fear, know who is your shelter. In times of fear, we have that internal instinct to hide from danger. Children crawl under their bedsheets. Soldiers retreat to their trenches and to their bunkers. Fighters hide behind their fists. Those who know the Lord take shelter in Him. See again, friend, how even Jesus is a shelter to the sinner in need, to the person in need. He himself said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, run to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord is a shelter to those in need. Jesus himself says again in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 37. We read, Jesus said to those that he was teaching, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never never thirst. Verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Friend, when you fear, know who is your shelter. The Lord, Jesus, the Christ, who says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Find shelter with me. I will never cast out those who come. Finally, we learn from this psalm that when we fear, we should know who will preserve us. Who will preserve us. In these last two verses, seven and eight, we read, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We see finally that Yahweh's help as a keeper, as a preserver, as one who guards his people, is extended to the very life of the pilgrim psalmist and to every person who knows the Lord this way. The life of the pilgrim, the life of the psalmist, the one traveling to Jerusalem for worship, is kept by the Lord as the Lord protects him from all evil. Now, friends, understand that this may not mean that evil will never touch the life of the pilgrim. This does not mean that the life of the Christian, the one who knows Jesus as his shelter, that evil will never touch you. That's not what this verse means. 
but it means that what men may mean for evil, that what sinful people may, what evil they may intend for your life, that Yahweh who made heavens and the earth will intend those evil things for good. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers who sold him into slavery, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. God's protection goes to every part of the pilgrim's life. It doesn't mean that evil will never touch you, but it does mean that whatever evil other people may intend toward you, God will intend it for your good and for his glory. The second half of verse 7 says, He will keep your life. He will guard your life. The word that's translated as life here is the Hebrew word nephesh. It's the word that Moses used to describe what Adam, the first man, became when God breathed into his lungs out of forming him out of the dust of the ground. He became nephesh. He became a living soul, a living being. The life that Yahweh keeps and guards is more than just your biological functions, friends. And life is far more than the breath in our lungs and the blood that courses through our veins. Our life is, is ultimately spiritual and soul-bound. God secures the very souls of those who trust in Him. He also keeps, the psalmist says, He keeps the going out and the coming in of the pilgrim, of the psalmist, of the one who looks to the Lord for help. This is kind of a formulaic way, going out and coming in. A formulaic way of saying Yahweh watches over every step that his people take. There's never a a movement in the life of the one that the Lord loves that is not cared for. There is no moment in the life of the one who follows the Lord, looks to him for help that is not guarded by God. There is no event in our life that is not kept secure from all the things that would threaten our eternal security when we look to him for help. The Lord will watch over all of these for always and forever for the ones who are His. This means, dear friends, even in death, God is our refuge and our strength. He is the one who preserves, who keeps, who guards our souls. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes to the church. He says, beginning of verse 37, In all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying the exact same thing as the psalmist in 121. God's love for his people, for those who look to him for help, for those who look on the Son of God and trust him for their help spiritually to rescue them from sin and death and the grave. There is nothing in all the world or outside of it that can separate us from the invincible, unending, impenetrable love of God in Christ Jesus. He keeps their souls. There are a lot of things to fear in life. There are plenty of times that God says in his word, do not fear, do not be afraid, fear not. But every time he says that, he's always saying that in relation to maybe something that he's commanding his people to do. Go and go into the land of Canaan, but be not afraid. I'm with you. I will take care of what lies before you. When angels show up to give a divine message to human persons, like when Gabriel shows up to Uh, to Mary, to tell her that she's going to be the the mother of the Messiah. He says, do not fear, right? One, because angels are fearful. They're scary things to look at. He says, do not fear. I come to bring good news. 
But friends, I've not found a command in Scripture where God says, do not be afraid ever. Or that there's nothing ever in life to be afraid of. There are plenty of things to fear. There should be nothing that strikes greater fear in our hearts, dear friends, than the prospect of standing before a holy God in all of our sin. That's a real thing to fear. To stand before a holy, pure, sinless, just God who judges justly every act of rebellion against His perfect holiness and to stand before that God in all of our sin, knowing all of our secret thoughts, secret desires, immoral actions, that is terrifying. But for even that fear, church, we have one who keeps us through judgment. We have one who is born our punishment for sin, Jesus, the very Son of God. For you who fear today, standing before a holy God in all of your sin with nothing in your hands to bring to justify yourself, know this, Jesus, the righteous one, has stood in that fearful place already. He has received and withstood the punishment that he did not deserve but was aimed toward you and toward your sin. And he died in your place to satisfy the fearful wrath of God towards your sinful rebellion against him. And now that same son, that same Jesus, lives forever to bring those who have come to him for help, for shelter, who've come to him for strength and protection, to bring them into the blessed and invincible love of God. If you are in Christ, dear friend, you have no need to fear the righteous and just punishment of God against your sin. It has been paid in full. And there is now in Christ nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the invincible love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Friend, if you fear today, standing before God in all of his righteous judgment for your sin and know that all of us will stand before that holy God one day. If you fear standing before him because you don't know how he'll respond to what you have done in life and you know all the things you've done, know that there is shelter in Christ, that there is preservation in Jesus. And, And not one who preserves us from an angry God forever, but one who justifies us to a just God who brings us at peace with the same God who stood to judge us. And it's not because he wipes away God's judgment, but it's because he has absorbed it on your behalf. And now there is nothing keeping you from fellowship. There's nothing keeping you from right relationship with the same just and holy God that you once stood before in fear. Now you can come to with all the confidence of a loving father in right relationship with him through Jesus the Son. Dear friend, if you fear nothing in this life, but you do fear standing before God, know that there is shelter, there is protection, there is life forever in the shelter of Jesus. Maybe philosophically stirring to say we have nothing to fear but fear itself, but we know that it's practically stupid. We live in a world full of fears, the greatest of which may be standing before the Lord and all of his holiness and all of his judgment. But dear friend, when you fear, where there may be the judgment of God, where there may be spiders or heights or death, when you fear, turn to Jesus for help. Turn to Jesus for shelter. 
Turn to Jesus to strengthen you and to keep you, not only in this life, but forevermore. Those who trust in the Lord have a place to run for fear and or in times of fear. And when in times of fear, we need help to pray. In seasons of fear, when we need, we need help to know where to turn, Psalm 21 helps us to pray this way, to, to pray to the God who gives us all of these things. And so as we close this sermon this morning, I want to lead us just to pray to God for help in times of fear. Will you pray with me?